The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Miss Meg. As always, thank you so much. As we come to this time, I invite your attention. If you have your Bible today, you have your smartphone, your app, your tablet, your book, you whatever you got, uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, that's page 835 of the Blue Pew Bible. Uh, and understanding that uh, this may be new to some of you, and that's completely okay. Uh, you can uh, turn to the book of Matthew, page 835, and it's about two ways, uh, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, and we'll be looking at this this morning. And I just want to tell you, I, I come bearing no glamour, I come bearing no glitz or games or prizes. We come with a, a death-proof king this morning. We come with the king of glory, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the grave. And that's better than any dog or pony show you'd want me to put up here for you. So uh, trust me, that's not going to be good for you. But one thing that is good is that we hear from the Word of God this morning. And so this, for many of you, may be old hat, but for some of you, all of us, in fact, we need to be reminded of these things this morning. Well, the way to really understand something is to go back to its starting point. Everything it said has a starting point, right? Every job that you have, some of you have been at the same job or had been at the same job for decades. Every journey you have has a starting point. Every living thing has a starting point. For some of you, it starts on a board game like this that you'll never finish with your family and friends because you keep going round and round and round and round. You had a starting point. Some of you were started on purpose. Some of you were started by, by accident, but nevertheless, you were started. And so you're glad for it because you're here today. Romances have starting points. In fact, uh, all of us, this time of year, love is in the air. Everything has a starting point. The Royals had a starting point to the season, and that's yet to be concluded. But we will pray that starting point started as well and ends as well as it started. But your faith has a starting point, too. Your faith, for many of you, is what your parents told you. For some of you, it's what the priest or the pastor told you. For some of you, it's what the Bible says. Or for many of you, this phrase will sound very familiar. Uh, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's true for many people. And many of you were young when you came to the faith of Jesus Christ. Many of you knew Christ from a very, very small age. But as you got older, you started perhaps to get uneasy with what the foundation was that you grew up with. And you asked questions like, how do we really know? that the resurrection is true? How do we really know, in fact, perhaps there is a God? And so this is exactly, and I shared this a few weeks ago, but the, the story of Samuel and, and Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 3 comes to mind. Uh, growing up, I was always told this story about God speaking to young Samuel at night. And Eli says, the next time God speaks, say, Lord, and you'll see this on the screen, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And the application was, if God speaks to you right there, say, speak Lord. And my thought was, God, please don't call my name like that at dark or mom's going to have to change the bed sheets because that's just going to scare me really tough. But if you're going to do it, do it during the day because I can hear you. But no matter where you are in life, your faith had a starting point. And for many of you, it was when you were like little Samuel, who was maybe six, seven years old at that time, and you came to believe in these things. But over the years, you started to really question, did that starting point, was that me starting that point? 
Was that God, or was that just my parents doing the good religious thing? And so the question is, how do I really know what God has said? The question becomes that. Is it because my mom said so? Is it because my pastor, my priest, my shaman, some internet guy I listen to on podcasts every now and then said so? Or is it because some book so, says so? These are big questions, questions we all have to answer someday. In fact, they form what we call a worldview. But maybe you're like Peter. You remember Peter, don't you? That guy who said, Jesus, I will never, ever, ever, pinky, swear, blood on it, whatever you got. I'll never deny you, Jesus. And then three times later, he falls flat on his face, didn't he? And we've all done that in our own way. And maybe you're here today and you feel like your foundation, whatever that is, has been so shaken that you feel like it's not beyond, it's beyond repair. Well, friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's amen to Jesus's it is finished. There is hope. There is strength. And if you're a Christian here today and you've heard this before, hear it again. If you're new to this today, hear it again, because Jesus is here. And I want to speak as plainly as I can this morning. And I try to do that often, but I want to speak to you as plainly as I can this morning. We live in a day and a time where if you ask people their preference or opinion, you're going to get 10,000 if you ask 1,000. If you ask 1,000 Baptists, you're going to get a million opinions and 10 votes, and that's how it goes. People will say things like, all religions are essentially the same, and they're just superficially different. So choose whatever works best for you. Go to Golden Crow, pick your flavor, whatever it is. And the question of truth is completely avoided. Or people will say, well, 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 truth is subjective and a matter of preference. Andy, do we need to switch out microphones? I think so. Okay. We say things like that, but we don't really believe it. I mean, imagine if you went to the bank today, if they were open on a Sunday, and you said, I would like to withdraw, I feel like withdrawing some money from my account. And the teller looks at you and says, well, sir, I don't feel like you have any money in your account. You would say, well, I don't care what you feel. It's my money, man. Give me the money. Show me the money, right? I know I have money in my account. I want to withdraw it. And you don't want to tell the teller to look back at you, but you say, that may be, and, and the teller says to you, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. I don't feel like you have money in that account. That would drive some of you nutty because that's your money. Don't touch it. I worked hard for that. Well, the reality is you either have money in your account or you don't. You either have it or you don't. And regardless of how someone feels, there's an issue of truth that comes in. Now, that's a simple example, but that's how thousands of people live their lives each day with what they call their faith. In fact, why would you want to throw out something so easy like your faith just by how you feel? Man, I really love the Chiefs. I really did until that second Saturday in, uh, in January when those pesky patriots came to town and we couldn't seal the deal. Do you understand? And there was a moment I hated the Chiefs. Man, I really, we don't have a TV at our house, but if I did, it was out the window. Feelings are fleeting. Truth lasts forever. Four things I want us to consider this morning, some shorter, some longer, but four things this morning from Matthew 28. First, I want you to answer a question this morning. There's a question we all need to answer this morning, and if you're a Christian, you've answered this, but you need to reaffirm yourself in it. Then there's some things to consider. We'll spend the meat of our time there in number two. But then what does this mean for you? How does this affect you every day? Not just on a religious holiday necessarily, but when the, when the, road meets, the rubber meets the road, how does that affect you? And finally, a question to answer as we do. 
Well, we, uh, if you're visiting with us, we, we've done this a couple times already, but if you're able to stand, will you stand with me as we read Matthew 28 to answer the question, the ultimate question, how do we know that our foundation is sure? How do we know that what has been started is correct? And how do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Matthew chapter 28, and if you're with us Sunday over Sunday, you know this is not the book we've been in for the last three years. So get, don't get used to it, all right? We'll be back there next week. Verse 28 through verse 15, verse, chapter 28, verse 1 through verse 15. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Verse 5, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And he has said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is depart- and behold they departed quickly from the tomb with great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, verse 9, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priest and all that had taken place. And verse 12, they assembled with the elders, and after taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night, stole him away while he was asleep, and if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Everybody has a starting point in their faith. The question is, Christian, today, are, are, do you still believe the resurrection is viable? Not just because we celebrate it on an Easter holiday, but because it's true. Do you believe that? If you're not a Christian here today, I cannot convince you the resurrection is true. Let me just show my cards. Only God can do that. But I pray this morning, if you're not a Christian, that this is an opportunity you see that Jesus is the risen Savior, the only Savior that can save you from your sins. Will you join me in prayer as we start off this morning? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, to worship together, to start uh, just this journey of studying your word together, Lord. We know this is it. This is the greatest thing. So, Father, we pray for wisdom. Give it, grant it to us now. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. Well, this is the big question that comes up. You have a question to answer, number one, as you'll see on the screen. But a question to answer, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And I'm not talking about a resuscitation, CPR. not talking about a reincarnation, Hinduism. I'm talking about a resurrection. I mean, did a guy who was dead end up rising from the grave three days later, or did he not? And that is a question of truth, not of preference. Either he did or he didn't. Either it happened or it didn't happen. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, can we just go home now and start eating those deviled eggs? Which, by the way, isn't that a funny thing for a Sunday? You eat deviled eggs on a Sunday, and that's a whole other thing. But if he didn't rise from the dead, this whole thing is a lie. It's stupid. Go home. But if he did, Christians, 
if he did not, rather, Christians would be most pitied because we worship this guy named Jesus who is just a figure of our imagination. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, that's a huge change for your life every single day. Now, most people think the burden of proof here is on Christians. And Christian, we do need to provide evidence of some sort, even though that doesn't change the heart to people. But really, the burden of proof above the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead, is on the non-believer. Yes, there is a burden of proof for those who believe, but those who don't believe, there is a burden of proof as well. There's no question, even the most secular scholars will tell you, some guy walked around 2,000 years ago and overnight sprung up what we now know to be the largest world religion that has ever existed and, and, and continues to grow. And immediately hundreds of people, 1 Corinthians said, changed their lives. And a fast-growing movement has estimated to be, at that point, thousands upon thousands, day after day, grew just like that. Now, how does that work? That's before smartphones, that's before viral ads, all that stuff. So how do you explain it? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then you have a burden of proof on you, non-Christian, because you have to provide some account of that. I mean, what would change a person going from defeat to victory in a matter of day unless something major happened? Did they eat the right food? Did they have the right mood that day? Well, which is most plausible? The burden of proof is absolutely on the unbeliever to disprove the resurrection. I mean, it's kind of like this. This is, this is George Washington. But can we really know 100% that George Washington actually walked on the face of the earth? I mean, you're looking at me as Americans. You say, well, duh. Dude, he's on like a coin or a bill or something like that. And, and we talk about him from the day that we went to school. But is it possible he's just a mythical figure that wrote and was invented by people to encourage the citizens of a new country? Maybe he really didn't exist. Now, you're looking at me as crazy as you all are looking. You could see the views right now. Pastor, are you dumb? No, I'm, I probably am. But one thing I know is true. Why is it that we never question whether George Washington came because we know without a fact it's an accepted fact. So why would we do the same to the resurrection? We're almost certain that this is how it is. And that is the big question. Which is more plausible? That Jesus didn't rise from the dead or that he did? Well, I would like to take you to some things to consider because I will argue as we get into this that it is the most historical, verifiable fact that Jesus Christ came from the dead. And we will go through that quickly. Let me give you some scenarios this morning, some things to consider. As we go through, and this is point number two. But here are some possible explanations of that the resurrection didn't happen. Some of them are going all the way back to the first century. We just read in Matthew 28. The first one is this, is that people say Jesus didn't even die on the cross. And Pastor Nelson mentioned this briefly on Friday night at our service. But Muslims, for instance, think that Jesus didn't die on the cross. That they did a switcheroo, did a good makeup job, did some Hollywood-type stuff and Jesus didn't actually die. This is what Muhammad teaches in the Quran. Now again, see the issue of truth here. Either Jesus died on the cross, or he didn't. Either he actually did, or he did not. And I'm not even asking you to say for sure at this point whether you believe, but it's either one or the other. It's a matter of truth or falsehood. And this is the point where two dominant religions, Islam and Christianity, separate. Did Jesus die, or did he not? It's a point of preference, and, or a point of truth. Now, there are others who said, yeah, it wasn't Jesus on the cross. 
he didn't really die. He just got really, 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 really owies, boo-boos, and, and he got a big hug from his mama and all was okay. Guys, he fainted. He fell unconscious. They, went, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. He went through six trials. He had no sleep. He had a brutal scourging. He had thorns on his head. Not the same thorns that were in the Notre Dame, by the way. That's superstition. But the nails thrust into his hands and to his feet. He had after hours on the cross. He had a spear thrust into his side. Then they threw him in a grave. And oh, by the way, mommy gave him a hug, so he must not have died, right? Guys, this is just crazy. Is that the biggest argument you have? That Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead? That he didn't actually die? Well, let's try another one. Let's say that Jesus' tomb was not empty. This is a little along the same lines. Some people say that maybe they just showed up at the wrong tomb. I mean, when they they went to see him, maybe they went to another tomb, and he really was over yonder, but they went to this one over here instead. Sounds good. It really does. But in their grief, maybe they were so shocked they just didn't see it. I mean, if you've lost a loved one before, you know that you don't remember everyone, what they say, but you know they were there. So maybe they had this feeling that he was there, but he really wasn't. Now, this would be great, but since that time, everyone's going to the wrong tomb. Maybe they should have just checked next door. But this was a day when the last thing the Romans or the Jews needed was another king running around that claimed their leader had risen from the dead. That's why they put guards at the tomb. So why would they have this mistaken? But all someone needed to do was to go over to another tomb and say, hey, there's that dead guy named Jesus, and guess what? He's still dead. And guess what? That's what would have happened. But that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't prove the resurrection. But we stand on pretty firm historical ground that the tomb was empty. In fact, Joseph of Arimathea, one of the greatest rulers of the Jewish day, gave his own tomb to him. Are we saying that he forgot where it was as well? Is this the best argument we have? Well, number three, some people say, well, the resurrection couldn't have happened because the disciples stole his body. Okay, now I don't know about you. I do not do CrossFit. That just makes me tired. I run a lot. That makes me. That doesn't make me tired. That makes me more energized. But some of you like to lift weights, and this is exactly the story that the Bible says couldn't even have happened as well, because first this would mean that these timid, scared Galilean fishermen had to go outlast the Roman guards. I'm not a Navy SEAL or the son of a Navy SEAL, but I can imagine even retired Navy SEALs have a lot more muscle than most of us will ever have in our lives because that's just the way God built them. These Roman soldiers were stacked, they were trained, they were disciplined, and when they were told to guard that tomb, it was at the stake of their very life if they let anything pass them. Well, maybe, maybe the disciples beat them. I mean, come on, couldn't they have, like, thrown some smoke over here, blindfolded them over there, karate chopped them down there, and they just stole the body? Well, that would make a great Hollywood script, but I don't see that happening in reality. In fact, the goal of the life in those days was to follow your command, because if you did not, again, you would lose your life. If you have an empty tomb, but there's no Jesus, then you don't have much of a resurrection without them proving that the body was there. And if they stole the body and claimed he was alive, uh, there's a movie that was past years, but Weekend at Bernie's, if you've ever seen that before, where they make Bernie's arm go up and Bernie's arm go down because he's dead, and they they accidentally killed their boss, and they have to act like he's alive. I don't think the disciples were good puppeteers either, guys. These arguments have to go somewhere. 
So what's the final argument? I mean, if we can't disprove the resurrection, the scholars, secular of the day, say, well, maybe the disciples, and for you in the older generation, this is our word today, maybe the disciples were tripping. Maybe they were just on something. Maybe they were, uh, maybe they saw Puff the Magic Dragon and let it be. I mean, seriously, people throw this stuff out. I mean, maybe they got so worked up in a frenzy like a whirling dervish that their minds escalated to some euphoria in nirvana that they just saw Jesus walking around. Well, that would be great if that actually happened, but there's nothing in the scriptures or history that says that was even the case. Maybe they really believed he was still alive, and maybe they knew he wasn't, but they believed he was spiritually alive, and they all saw the same thing at the same time. Well, I don't know about you. I'm a sports fan, if you can't tell. But if, when you have a replay call, you get a thousand opinions on one. Oh, he was safe. No, he was out. No, that flag shouldn't have been thrown. No, that was an extra yard. And then you boo the, the ref anyway because he's usually wrong 90% of the time. So how could this work? Were they delusional? I don't think so. I mean, think about this. He ate with people. He drank with people. He worshipped with people. Hallucinations don't eat. Hallucinations don't drink, and hallucinations don't walk on the side of the road. I mean, let's put it this way. What if I told you last week in preparation for the Masters, Tiger Woods, he's back on the scenes, by the way. It's my fourth sports reference. I didn't plan this, but it just happened. What if he calls me up and says, man, I want to I invite Darren Smith to come do golf with me. I hear he's really, really good. Jeff Jones, wherever you are, he, you, were, you were busy or something. But one thing, he comes up and he says, you know, I want to ask – uh, hey, you know, can, can you help me? Can you play a practice round with me at the ma Masters? And, and, and we do. And we're on a par three, and I hit a hole in the one, and he's impressed. But, but he asked if I could be his caddy for the week. And we go on, and he goes uh, up to other people, and he says, do you have any clue who Darren Smith is? No, who's that? <laughs> well, he's my caddy this week. Well, is he a terrible golfer or what? And, 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 and Tiger said, you know, I have no clue who he is, and I'm pretty sure he's a terrible golfer, but I can verify this. He helped me get better. He was there with me. He, he played a practice round with me. It actually happened. I wasn't hallucinating. There was a guy, Darren Smith, and he helped me win the Masters. By the way, that's a false story, but I did not help him win the Masters. But you can see how easily you can spin stories. But, guys, if the resurrection didn't happen, something happened to those disciples. And I can tell you it wasn't the greatest paraphernalia that was out there. It was a real risen Lord they saw. So the question is, this morning, the question is, do you believe that this has actually happened? Do you believe this is actually what has happened? Did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? I mean, think about that. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have every reason to give your life to him. And you'll see this on the screen. Did he actually rise from the dead? What if it actually happened? What if it happened? What if it actually happened? What would that do for churches? If we believe this dead guy rose again, shouldn't that revolutionize our churches? Shouldn't that revolutionize your marriages? Shouldn't that revolutionize your kid raising, your job doing everything? But friends, Jesus died on the cross and he actually rose from the dead. And, and you may say, well, that doesn't mean it actually happened, that it caused this radical shift in history. But I, I, can, I can point you to truths that, that show that. I can show you, not just in the Bible, but from religious skeptics, that this event changed everything. Literally changed everything. So, friend, this morning, 
from the very beginning, even the Bible tells us that people have worked to cover up Jesus' resurrection. They've worked to denounce it. They've worked to say there are some churches today who are gathering. They'll get up and say Jesus rose from the dead, but they don't believe it. They'll say he rose in their hearts. Guys, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then go home. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what in the world are you doing here today? It's a beautiful day outside. You have yard work to do, husband. Get to work. But if Jesus rose from the dead, by cracky, it changes everything. So what does this mean for you? This means several things. First, biblically, I'm convinced this is where Christianity stands or falls. You cannot believe in a symbolic resurrection and claim to be a Christian. You can't say Jesus might have risen from the dead. He either, you may not understand it all, but Christian, you've got to believe this stuff. You have to pin your life on this. If you have loved ones who have passed away and we say they're going to be in heaven with us, what is our guarantee of that? The resurrection? If you have kids who, are, who, who don't seem to understand anything about Christianity, what power do you have to share with them? The power of the Spirit working through Christ in you to show them that it's about Him and Him alone? So biblically, this is not to minimize the cross. This isn't to minimize anything else. But if Jesus rose from the dead, we have to accept all that he said. Everything. So if you're here today and you say, that's great, I love it. I love the, the, the feeling I get. I love the, the things on the back of my head that it makes me do. But Christian, do you, or person, do you really believe in the resurrection? Here's what it means for you. Let's get practical. If Jesus rose from the dead, he has absolute authority over everything. The President of the United States, the Tsar of Russia, NATO, WHO, whatever you got owe, has nothing on Jesus, if this is true. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me. So first off, he has authority, if this is true, over life and death. Think about it. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own, and I have authority to lay it down and take it up again. Who determines what life can be taken? God does. Who decided one day, I think I'd like to live, and, and you persuaded your parents to bring in you to the world? Well, that doesn't work that way. And who among the dead can say, man, my heart's flatlining, but I'm just going to stay right here for a while even though I'm dead? It doesn't work that way. If Jesus rose from the dead, he has authority over all things, including life and death. Secondly, if Jesus rose from the dead, he has authority over sin and of Satan. Well, what does that mean? It means that death is the payment for sin. We die because we sin. Because we've turned from God to ourselves, we have denounced the authority of God in our lives. Every one of us has turned to our own ways of thinking and living. Everyone has died because everyone has sinned. You will die because you have sinned. I will die because I have sinned. But there's one man in all history, Jesus Christ, who never sinned. You say, well, then why did he die? Well, I'm glad you asked. He died for your sin. He died and paid the price for your sin. And once he died, he rose from that grave. He busted out of that door, not just in victory over death, but victory over sin. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. So he has authority over sin, Satan, death, life. And here's the kicker. Christian, you need to be reminded of this. Non-Christian, you need to be reminded of this. He has authority over you and of me. Oh, we don't like that. Oh, come on, guys. We don't like that, do we? 
but I'm a, I'm a red, blue, and white-blooded American. No one, not even the king or the president, pastor, can tell me what to do. Oh, but if he busted out of the grave, you bet he could, but he didn't. Jesus did, and he, guess what? He's got control over your life. So, God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, how do you want me to raise my kids? God, what do you want me to do with this church? God, what do you want me to do with this? If Jesus rose from the dead, he has authority over all of us. So there's a, there's a great illustration for that. You know, the Bible talks about how, how if, if we won't praise God, the stones will cry out. How all creation will give praise to God. And, and if you go to all creation and say praise God, they're going to praise God in their cool animal and rock sort of way. But when it gets to us, we stand there like some of our young kids, uh, your young kids, if you've been a kid, stand there and say, no, I'm not doing it, God. I'm me. I have free will. I can do whatever I want. Well, you sure can. And how's that worked out for us? Pretty well, right? No, not at all. God has authority over you and of me if this resurrection has happened. Christian, this should be the greatest encouragement to you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're giving it to one who knows where you're going. Our missionaries we sent out who, who recently have been among some uncontacted people groups, they go not in the power of the IMB, they go in the power of Jesus JC, because that's what they go in. You go to your workplace, you go to your family, you go to your, the neighborhoods and all the places that go with the power of Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Christian, let me just tell you, God has authority over your life. You may fight it, you may buck it, you may try to stave it off, but he has authority over your life and requires of you an account. Do you believe who he says he was and what he did? That's the practical ramification. Jesus has authority over life, death, sin, Satan, you, me. So what does this mean? It means, let me just give you three other quick things. What does this mean for you? It means that he reigns over us supremely and completely. It means that this, whether we believe it or not, just as the grass is green outside, whether you want it to or not, Jesus is Lord. People say often, well, I decided to make Jesus Lord of my life. No, we did not. God, by his grace, gave us the grace to believe that we might have eternal life. We didn't have a choice. Jesus is Lord over your life, and every knee shall bow to that someday. He loves us profoundly, deeply because of this. If the resurrection is true, you are more loved now than you will ever be. And Christian, let me remind you that you do not fall out of the love of God. You don't, God does not love you on your good days any more than he loves you on your bad days. Aren't you glad for that? Because if we're human, we love people when they have their good days. <laughs> we really don't love them when they have their bad days. Amen? We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that the reason we're having this discussion is God loves you enough to send his son to come back from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus validates everything he said, taught, and told us, and came to do. And because of that, he loves you so profoundly. He loves you so deeply. And thirdly, and I think this is the reality of the situation, because he has all authority, because he resurrected from the dead, we will be judged eternally. He loves us supremely, completely. He loves us deeply and profoundly, but he will judge us eternally. John 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son, referring to himself, 
gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to his Son. This is the good news, isn't it? On Easter Sunday, it's good news because you and I can be saved from the eternal judgment of God. And let me tell you, if you don't believe the resurrection is true, you're not going to believe the Bible is true, and you're definitely not going to believe there's a judgment coming someday. It all falls out. But the good news is, because of the resurrection, it reminds us this world is not all there is. The resurrection reminds us is that we don't have to hope in things of this world. We hope in the one who controls and authoritates and dictates sovereignly this world. We don't all have an innate, built, longing desire for everything this world has if we're Christian, and that's a good thing because our home is not here. Tornadoes don't have the last word. Shootings and wars don't have the last word. Political elections don't have the last word. Starvation and poverty and AIDS don't have the last word. Jesus' resurrection reminds everything in this world, I am he, I am the resurrection and the life, and nothing can be done apart from me. So friend, we're not just playing games on this Easter Sunday morning. We're here to remind ourselves that we are people who someday will be judged eternally. Christian, can I just tell you this morning, your payment has already been paid, amen? At the cross, it is finished. You don't have to go look at relics. You don't have to go confess your sins to a pastor. You don't have to go do any of that. It has been paid by the high priest, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, and that is what we have. Christian, do not try to man-center your religion. Your religion is based on Jesus Christ, him and him alone. This church will never save you. The baptismal waters can never save a lick of you. You'll lick a lot because it's Missouri River water, right? And it tastes nasty sometimes. But the only thing that saves you is faith alone in Christ alone by his grace alone. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's why we don't play games this morning. It is about Christ and him crucified. Let me end with a couple questions for you as it comes up. Do you believe this? That's really what it comes down to, isn't it? Do you believe in this? The Bible says, do you the Bible says this in Romans 10 9, and, and if and many of you grew up with this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a great truth that is. Not might be saved if you do the right religious hoops, not could be saved if you give money to the church, but will be saved. That's awesome. I've said this before, but wouldn't it be great, uh, especially older people? If we could pay taxes one time for one day's salary and be done the rest of our lives? Oh, come on, guys. You just did this, and you know. But Jesus did it once. He did it once. Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And if you don't, if you say, if you would not say yes to that, then there's a burden of proof on you. What explanation is possible? Why, how, how do you explain it all? Do you believe in the historical resurrection? But the reality is, and, and I want you to follow me here, the reality is I want you to notice that in Romans 10, it's, it, it, it is that believing is not the only thing that saves you. Did you catch that? There's work that's involved. Not work that saves you, but there's a confession that's involved. I want to urge you very closely at this point, because we're in a KC-saturated church location. Many people, if you knock on their door and say, hey, are you a Christian? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? They say, yeah! Yeah! And then they go turn on their computer and look at things that no one should ever be looking at behind the scenes. 
this Easter morning, the overwhelming majority of people will say they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are scores of people right here in KCMO, Liberty, Claycomo, Riverside, Parkville, Gladstone, North Kansas City, Northland, whatever, who on this Easter believe in the resurrection and are not saved from their sins. That may surprise you. Let me give you an example. Imagine we had the devil himself up here. All right, I'll, I'll do the Clint Eastwood version here. And uh, here, here's my empty chair, and I'll talk to it. But if I ask the devil himself, do you believe in the word of God? You know what he'd say? Absolutely I do. If I were to ask him, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? What would he say? Absolutely yes. Do you believe, Satan, that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Oh, man, we're getting going, Pastor. Yes, I do. If you were to ask him, devil, will you commit to live a moral life and come to church and get involved in everything the church has to offer? Do you know what Satan would say? Absolutely, tootly, I sure would. Thank you for the invitation. Because here's the catch, guys. You can believe and do everything of these things and not be saved from your sins. The key question when we look at the devil is, do you repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus Christ who has all authority over Satan, you Satan, sin, life, death, you, me, and everything? That's the question. And you know what he would say? Psh, no. Dude, I'm my own guy. I got my own things. And that's why it's important here because that's, that's exactly what we've done. We have said believe in Jesus, pray a prayer, get involved in church once a week, maybe every other life, live a good life, and you will be saved. And that is a lie, that is a lie, that is a lie, that is a lie. Christian, scores of people will tell you they believe Jesus resurrected from the dead and they think they're saved. And those scores of people will give lip service to Jesus and put their lives out, but they have never surrendered to Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference this morning? You are saved by faith alone and Christ alone, but giving lip service. Your membership, church, will not save you on the day of judgment. Your involvement in church is good, but it will not save you on the day of judgment. The only one who can save you is Jesus Christ. Have you turned from your sin, repented, and believed? Belief is not ultimately a matter of preference. It is a matter of truth. And so that is the question. Do you believe not just in the resurrection, but have you surrendered your life to him? And there is a fine line. If you're here today and you have been playing church because your mama, your daddy, your cousin, your friend who's a pastor, whatever, and you've been playing church, friend, you need to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and believe on him. Darren, are you saying just because someone professes Jesus that they're not saved? Look, I am not the Holy Spirit. I do not know. I don't have that cool scanner. Beep, 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 Christian or bonk, not a Christian. But you know what? You will know them by their fruits. If someone walks in and you take a poll and they say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but for years they've been living like a heathen. They've never known Jesus Christ on the authority of God's word. Do you know why? Because he who knows Christ, his life will be changed. You know what? That happened on the first Easter morning, didn't it? They didn't just believe some thoughts about Jesus. They believed and they saw and it radicalized the world. They turned the world upside down. Guys, as we close today, 
What matters this day is, 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 is that question, have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian and you've done that, praise God. Thank God for that. If you're not a Christian or if you've been playing the church game, friend, we love you and we want you to know Jesus. Would you come and believe on that truth? Will you close with me as we pray? Let's close out today. Father God, as we come before you, we want to remind you and, and, and just thank you, Lord, because we need to be reminded of the fact that just believing in the resurrection does not save us, but confessing that Jesus is Lord and giving him our life, repenting and turning from our sins is what it is. So, Father, I pray this morning for those here who may not know anything about belief in Jesus Christ. Would you draw them to Christ? Thank you so much for their attendance. For those who, who may be in that muddled middle, who, who, who want to believe in Jesus' resurrection, but, but, Father, they're not sure, but they can, they can say the right words, play the right games. Father, would you draw them to Christ in humble submission for their sin? Father, for those who have not only confessed Christ uh, and the resurrection, but have surrendered their life, would you just shore them up and remind them that, you, uh, that, that it's true? Father, we can't prove the resurrection, but at the same time, your spirit solidifies it, that, that your spirit speaks to our spirit, that we are children of God, Romans 8 says. Father, thank you so much. Father, I pray this morning, I pray this year for all the folks in this room, that the greatest message we take is not anything other than that we have a Savior who lives. That is truth, that's historical, that's spiritually important, and it's eternally valuable. Thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the love that you loved us so deeply, so profoundly with. Thank you for your authority in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.